Hi, I'm Sarah Loudon from Total Health Conferencing and welcome to another episode of Inspired. Uh, this is where we take on issues, mostly in oncology, but really issues that affect human beings from um, all stages and ages. So we are looking forward to a really great program tonight on public policy in oncology. Uh, and we're joined uh, by two really incredible people, people that have gotten to work with on various other projects in the past, and I couldn't wait to sit down with them uh, and talk about public policy. Brian Lewis, who's the president of an organization called Kidney Can, and Erica Terry, CEO of uh, Komen, Kansas, and Western Missouri. I thank you both for being here tonight with me. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. I thank, you. thank you, Sarah. Sure. I really, um, you know, from the time that I met both of you, I, and it was two different times uh, on town halls that we did on patient advocacy, uh, I was so intrigued by, you know, this little corner of the world that each of you occupied, which included public policy. And I've always been really uh, interested in public policy, although I've never been involved in anything public policy related. Uh, and that's probably more because I never really knew how or where to start. So Erica, I'm gonna ask you to kind of frame a little bit the conversation to let the listening audience know what exactly is public policy? Oh, happy to. Um, public policy, aside from being my biggest passion, um, is, is something that anybody can be involved in and the beauty of public policy is it, hap it happens to have the opportunity to have the biggest ROI on making an impact for whatever it is that you're working on, whether that be increased NIH funding on the federal level for cancer research or um, working um, on the state initiative of expanding Medicaid, which impacts um, all of our world from a cancer perspective. Um, public policy is the opportunity for people to come together, lend their voices to organizations, call their elected officials, um, and influence change. Um, where I get really passionate is the opportunity that as a you know, citizen, a, an individual, that I can actually influence um, the laws that um, dictate the work that um, the world that we live in. Um, public policy can also be as easy as voting. Um, we've got the actually the most important election cycle of our lifetime coming up and have the opportunity to be engaged as um, citizens of the United States to um, participate in that process. Well, you know, it's so funny because you kind of cast this wide net on all the different opportunities each one of us have. And I love that you simplified it as, you know, easy as go vote because that's affecting change and that's affecting public policy decisions. You know, who you vote for and voting your values uh, certainly translates when it comes to being able to see that reflected in the public space. So I love that you kind of brought it down, right down to that all of us could be involved in public policy right up to uh, this election cycle, but also talked about kind of big sweeping things, you know, what what people do in terms of an organization do in terms of, um, you know, rallying together to have a unified voice to maybe make more specific changes associated with what you're involved with. 
So Brian, you know, this past week we worked together on World Kidney Cancer Day and COVID-19 stole a lot of milestones uh, that all of us have come to be used to, everything from birthdays, graduations, weddings, all the way to things like Kidney Cancer Day, uh, where, or, you know, survivor months or um, colorectal cancer awareness months. It's like those, the, we've been impacted so much by the inability to go out and gather and do together that we've had to create these virtual opportunities to still engage with our audience. You know, why is it important for you, Brian, and for organizations like yours to still honor the things that have to happen to reach your community as it relates to, you know, public policy space? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. Um, you're right that the COVID environment has definitely significantly and deeply impacted um, our community as well as the advocacy efforts that we've been trying to do. However, you know, Washington DC still is working. Um, you know, it's a different uh, time there with you know, social distancing and masks and spacing and logistics challenges, but they're still, they're still going about the business of, of governing, um, depending on your, your viewpoint, I guess, on some days. Um, That's another so what, what I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so but I, what I, one of the things that we've done is, um, you know, our, we're a small, smaller outfit, so we've done a lot of grassroots uh, activity on Capitol Hill. Um, and, I, and on our previous call, we talked about how we pivoted from doing our standard fly-ins where we bring people, kidney cancer patients and caregivers and clinicians to Washington, D.C. to meet their elected representatives. We've pivoted, and this August we're having what we're calling district days, where we're um, inviting patients and caregivers from around the country, instead of coming to Washington, visit your local elected representative. August is a time generally when the, uh, well, every year for the past number of years, it's recess. And so you have a high likelihood of meeting face-to-face -face with your congressional representative. We're, we're, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a rolling the dice in terms of, you know, do we want to have in-person meetings during this time? So we're, we're planning on the majority of it being virtual, but there are some states, some places in the country that, you know, that have not been in, as impacted as urban areas. And so they are accepting appointments. So we're gonna have a few folks probably meeting with their representatives in August. And we think this is gonna be a great time to really have a chance to bring home the message that medical research funding is a, is a paramount importance to the, our community and all of the cancer community. And uh, we, we wanna have our voice heard. And as Erica pointed out, you know, we're in a country that allows you to go and petition your government. They're, you know, I'm a part of an international organization and other countries, you don't get to do that. Um, you don't get to always go up and talk to folks. So, um, you know, we have a special place in, in, uh, in what we're doing. We're going to meet and, and have your voice heard. I love that, I love that. So, I mean, along that same vein, Erica, you know, as people listen to this program and, you know, at the end, hopefully feel inspired to be able to share their voice to whatever issues they feel most um, connected to, is it difficult to get involved? I mean, beyond the vote, beyond maybe just, you know, lending your voice to a simple phone call or reaching out, is there a way for people, especially at this time when a lot of us are home, where we can get more involved in things like policy? 
You know, I think um, as Brian um, just mentioned, we're actually at a really opportune time because we're at home um, and practicing social distancing where we have a moment um, to be more connected with our local and federal elected officials. Um, they are eager to meet with constituents and to understand what um, is important um, to them so that they can best represent, well, again, for another podcast, we hope that they best represent um, their constituency, you know, when they're in the legislature. And I think a lot of people think about influencing policy. Um, they think about Washington, D.C. and the federal, um, federal level. But equally as important and maybe even more important is getting involved on your local level. Um, and that can be a matter of writing a letter to your local elected official. And it's as simple as Googling um, you know, your state capital, which has a list of your local state um, senators and uh, representatives or your city council because they're making decisions on state budgets. They're making decisions on whether you wear a mask in public or not right now um, as part of the COVID recovery. And so um, I don't think it should be kind of um, this, you know, or thought about as this big broad thing that you cannot possibly get involved in. Find a passion that you're um, really, or an organization that you're really passionate about that aligns with your beliefs. And, um, you know, for example, at Komen, we have a section of our website um, called Advocacy where you can sign up and we automatically pop you into our kind of civic engagement piece where we will send you exact language um, to review on the phone or write a letter or send an email or um, talking points for a meeting you might have with your local elected official about um, the importance of, um, of um, fighting cancer. It's so, you know, it's so encouraging. I, I always say this every time I'm speaking to anybody from patient advocacy, it's so encouraging how accessible you make everything in terms of whether it's big policy things that you'd like changes with or even just you know patient to patient calls where someone going through what you're what you either are going through or going to be going through picks up the phone and calls you and says how are you feeling today and you know kind of walks you through side by side there's so much connection and so much power in terms of like that spiritual you know, one-on-one -on -one and what we can all do when we do share our voices um, for each other and for good. Brian, you know, it's, for me, I feel like that we're living in such crazy times. I mean, in every way, it's crazy. We started the year, now we're in this COVID-19 situation where, you know, half the world believes that we should not leave our house. I'm actually part of that half, that half. And then the other half of the world is like, let's do barbecues and go out and have our summer. That's exactly the way it would have been if we didn't have a global pandemic. Um, and I'm scared of that half because I'm scared of them, but I'm almost like hopefully waiting and watching to see, you know, are they onto something that I didn't know so that I can kind of return back to normalcy. But you know, at the same time, we've got all of this political unrest, we've got social upheaval. I mean, there are so many things happening all at once. And then for the patient living with or through cancer, or for the treatment provider, you know, the nurse, the doctor, the tech, the whoever is the person you're going to encounter, we're almost living in a very different world where we've got to be 
so sensitive on so many levels. So, you know, when you're thinking about public policy in terms of what's next, how could I, me, you, us, how could we start to frame what the world we go back to looks like? What do you feel are some of the top priorities in that, cancer and beyond? Uh, well, there's a lot there to, to unpack. I, I mean, I think one of the first things to say is, you know, we live in a large country. Um, you know, what's going on in Montana and what's going on in New York City, you can't really compare. Um, I've been on the phone with some congressional offices. You know, they, they, you know, they represent a large geographical area, and they've had maybe, and this is in rural Pennsylvania, they've had 40 cases of, you know, and this was several weeks ago. And, and it just, it's been a different impact than it has been in, say, Boston or Manhattan or San Francisco. So we got to be careful when we, you know, try to figure out, are the people going to barbecues and the people that are isolating, are they, you know, where are they? That's a question to ask. Um, I think to your sort of advocacy political landscape part of your question, you know, I love to think back to Tip O'Neill, who used to say, you know, all politics are local. And I think Erica pointed that out as well. You know, your vote does count. I say that a lot. People don't realize that even in this, you know, age of, you know, we think of mega organizations, your, your vote counts. It still does. People will listen to you. People in Washington and state capitals and around the country will listen to what you're saying. And, you know, depending on, on you know, what you're saying, generally speaking, it will have some influence. And so I, I always encourage people to, to get active. Um, you know, to, to go out and do, if they can't, write a letter, make a phone call, you know, support through volunteering, um, go out and help clean up the street. You know, there's lots of things we as Americans take for granted that we can do. Um, and, you know, one of them, of course, is to, to you know, protest. And that's something that we have constitutionally is protected. And, I, and I'm glad we live in, in this day and age to see that and my kids get to see that. So um, I, I hope that sort of answers what, where you're headed. As far as the as the future goes, uh, you know, I was talking to our friend Ralph Knapp the other day and others, and they're like, you know, Brian, we hear the word optics a lot. You know, does this look good? Does that look good? You know, how will it play? People are dying. Yeah. People are dying of cancer. And we, we're the wealthiest country in the, in the world, and we, we need to continue to spend and robustly, you know, support medical research. And so um, get out there and get your voice heard. Yeah, no, I, I love that answer, too. Um, because it does take, you know, so much of this public policy discussion, again, on any front comes down to what are the outcome, what are the desired outcomes, you know, people aren't getting out there and protesting and going through all that they're going through just to have a, something to do on that particular weekend. It's like something is happening, whether, you know, in the cancer world, we put these focuses on different tumor types throughout the year so that we can really kind of um, condense all of our efforts and make something happen uh, that's favorable to the population that it affects. Um, but it's still so overwhelming. It's like there are so many things happening. And so, you know, just to hear you say that we live at, in a place and in a time where, you know, everything as simple as our vote to um, actions, to things that we don't think about uh, are important. I think that that's really encouraging because again, it kind of takes this 
broad brush of quote public policy and it makes it into really actionable things that the everyday person can get involved with no matter what you know side you sit on on various um, opportunities i think the one side we all sit on is we all want to see progress and we all want to see progress that you know lifts everybody especially people that are that are fighting through yeah. Go ahead, Erica. I was just going to say, you know, what we're witnessing right now with um, the attention and kind of enlightenment of social justice being um, as a national dialogue right now is actually the beginning stages of what will be um, a robust, or a robust um, kind of critical look at all things public policy. If you think about movements over you know, history, and I'm thinking from the cancer world. So 30, 30 plus years ago, Susan G. Komen um, died from breast cancer. Her sister, Nancy Brinker said, I'm gonna do something about this and created a movement. Um, she harnessed this power of um, women coming together saying, I do not want my mom or my sister or somebody I love to die for breast cancer and created a movement. And from doing that, um, Susan G. Komen was able to generate um, and invest over a billion dollars, second only to the federal government in um, uh, breast cancer research, which other disease types have also benefited from that research. Um, you know, that when we think about public policy, we talk about voting and we talk about talk, talking to your elected officials. It's also a part of being, being a part of the conversation um, and being at the table, which is what we're seeing right now. And I'm, you had asked, you know, what, how do we go back to the normal? I actually really hope we don't go back to what we, what we were. I really hope this is a moment of, like I said, enlightenment and change. Um, Cause it's kind of a reset for us as a society to reevaluate our priorities on um, how we treat people, um, what our health systems look like, how we fight cancer. Um, you know, how do we, um, how do we correlate the notion of, you know, the unemployment rates have skyrocketed and go up every day, which means benefits are lost, insurance is lost. And that means a new whole new population is without health insurance now. And so do we value those people? And are we willing to, for the states that haven't expanded Medicaid, are we willing to go and you know expand Medicaid for the states that um, that need to make it happen to help those people? It's it's a really interesting conversation that's kind of happening publicly, and I'm quite frankly very thankful for it because, from my perspective, I talk about this with my team and my board every day. Um, we cannot achieve our mission to end breast cancer forever if we don't mean everybody. So health equity is top of mind and I'm so thankful for the dialogue, um, nationally speaking, taking place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brian, were you gonna say something? Uh, I'm I, sorry, I I'm, was thinking about another topic. So, um, yeah. well, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I was listening to Erica. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, I mean, you know, again, it all starts with small steps, right? Like when you think back to all the transformative things that have happened um, in our country and really in other countries, you know, the globe, it's all small steps. It's like one catalyzing event or a series of catalyzing events that are followed by people saying either enough or people saying we need, you know, substantive change. Uh, 
But at the end of the day, really what kind of pulls it through is staying power. And, you know, I, I've got, I, I mention this almost every time uh, I talk, I've got a 17 year old and with that 17 year old, I've got, you know, his, his group, his little tribe of 17 year olds. And, you know, I look at everything from the types of TV shows that are out to, you know, all the different things. We've got this reality show, um, overload, social media is, has shortened all of our attention spans by significant uh, amounts of time. We've got a media cycle that seems to be like, let's, you know, get to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, and doesn't really kind of stay true um, to keep reporting on stories. Do, Brian, I'm gonna start with you because I wanna ask both of you. Do you fear that the culture in the United States, and I think I can probably say broadly, even though state to state, there are differences in kind of culture, but broadly, do you think that we've raised a generation of people that when you think back to like our parents and our grandparents' generation have a completely different definition of staying power? Than that we do that eventually leads to the type of change we want to see. Brian, I'll start with you, and then I'll ask Erica the same question. Uh, that's that's a great question. That if if I'm using my children as an example, then uh, the answer is this, this, the perseverance and the staying power has been shortened dramatically uh, compared to previous generations. But yeah, that's a, a biased parent speaking. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do think that um, what you were, you know, alluding to social media and entertainment and and television and all the different ways that we receive information and content, you know, via the internet and other ways, has just changed our attention span. We we are now a country, and I think you know a lot of folks, we you know we had an impeachment in this country what, five months ago? Do, do many of us talk about that? You know, um, we move on to another topic. Of course, COVID has taken all of the air. Um, and now, you know, the, this, uh, you know, our critical race challenges we have in this country. So, you know, I, we're a country that I, I, we're Americans. I'm proud to be an American. We, we have staying power to persevere through tough things. You know, we will get through this. I feel confident we will have a lot of novel responses, I think, coming up in terms of, you know, the landscape has changed for telemedicine. Um, the, the landscape has changed for, you know, how we're doing meetings, how events are going to take place. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, I've noticed personally that there's a lot of pent-up demand for human contact. I've, I've, we've had some small interactions with neighbors and other things, and people are, you know, you know have this pent-up desire to communicate and, and be around. So how do we deal with that you know, when we're transitioning everything to a virtual, you know, landscape. So it'll be interesting. There's, I think, Erica, you're right. We're not going back. There, there's no going back. There's only going forward and how we're going to change and, and uh, pave a, a new future for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And Erica, I'm going to ask you the same question. And this time I'm going to add, I think, I mean, again, I have, I have an inherent bias here, but I think women are different. I even would go as far as saying girls are different, like even the younger generation of girls. Great. I think once you get into a position where, where something affects your girlfriend or something affects your sister, it's like there's an emotional connection there that causes that staying power for that next generation to be a little bit more significant. 
but I still fear that that attention span of what's next, what can I get involved with next? You know, this is my summer project. This is what's happening on the news today, but tomorrow it's going to be something else. How do you feel that's going to change or impact, or do you feel that that's going to change or impact public policy as we move forward? I don't think it will um, impact or change public policy because as one of my um, all-time favorite presidents once said, the arc of history always bends toward justice. Um, and if we're thinking about in a climate right now, when we're focused on social justice and when I think about my lane, how I can play a role in achieving social justice and that's through health equity um, from a cancer perspective at least, um, I have a feeling this is going to stick and um, the moral compass of America is actually really good. Yeah. Um, and um, um, as again, it'll bend towards justice and justice is that we, um, you know, as defined in our um, constitution and declaration of independence, all, all are created equal. Um, so I don't know, something's different about what's going on right now. Um, and parallel to that with COVID-19 and us thinking about, um, you know, COVID-19 as a great equalizer in our society. Um, however, unfortunately, COVID-19 has lent a massive microscope on the inequities uh, amongst our um, population. So I think that and then certain um, things that have happened recently have kind of exacerbated a movement that people are just done. Um, and people want action. And I've been saying it's not enough to put kind of a black square on your social media yeah. to say that you stand with um, a community. You, you got to take action. And that's where public policy can play a role. Because again, as I started off our kind of conversation, it has the biggest ROI to actually make a difference. And all you have to do is vote. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty powerful thing if you think about it. It is a powerful thing. It really is a powerful thing. Brian, what got you into this work? Um, I had twin one-year-olds uh, when I was diagnosed in 2007, stage three to four kidney cancer. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't leave my wife to raise twins by herself. Um, so I was very fortunate to have that as a motivator. Um, I've been very fortunate with this medical team that I've been able to work with. Um, they've been a little bit more aggressive uh, than others. Um, and so, um, you know, I lived on Capitol Hill. I lived 11 blocks from, from, from the House and the Senate. And one of my good friends said to me one time, Brian, you know, you're not supposed to be here. You need to get back and do something about this. And so that was the genesis of the idea. So I started making appointments um, on Capitol Hill with some of the House and some of the Senate folks and just started you know, wearing out my shoes uh, going did up on Capitol Hill. Did you have a background in anything political? Well, I, I, I'm a political science major. Um, no, I, uh, uh, I worked at a trade association in Washington, D.C., and um, uh, we had done some legislative work on Capitol Hill, but I wasn't the, at the, you know, the front lines. I was sort of in the back office uh, doing legal work and other things. So, but I had, I had tasted enough of what it took to go up on Capitol Hill and, and how meetings work to get at least started. Oh, that's amazing. And Erica, you said you're a political science major, too? Yeah. <laughs> that's the 
that's the degree people are like, you know, what am I going to do? I go to law school or become a professor, but it's actually, we've got a, a, an interesting career path where you can be looking for a for impact organization and make a difference that way. By and how did you get involved in, in Komen? So um, I, um, when I was 23 years old, I was engaged um, to a gentleman. Um, we met in Washington, DC, actually working there. And um, when he was, he was 25, he was diagnosed with glioblastoma multiforme, which is grade four brain cancer. Um, he was 25 years old, I was 23, we were engaged. Um, his family didn't um, wanna step in and help him, so I became his primary caregiver and we went down to MD Anderson for um, 15 months for his care and five surgeries. And um, he passed away when he was 26 years old and I planned his funeral when I was 24. Um, and that experience obviously changed the lens in which I view everything in the world now. And it made me want to do everything I could to fight cancer. Um, right after that experience, I went down to Austin, Texas and worked for Livestrong back in the day, which that was when they were creating the Livestrong movement and everyone had a wristband. And I really got to see and experience the opportunity of a movement inflicting change on Capitol Hill. And I said, I got to do this. This is powerful, it's uplifting, and I actually feel like I can do something about this disgusting disease that has, you know, impacted my life, but also impacted thousands and thousands of people. And then um, I was led to Komen, and I'm, I, there's something about the notion of taking a movement um, and doing everything you possibly can to intentionally go out of business, which is what I, that's my mantra. I say that to my staff all the time. Our goal is to intentionally go out of business because we want to achieve our mission. One way we can do that is through public policy. So. I love that. I mean, what a wonderful thing. And both of you, you know, as we were talking about catalysts for change and public policy, I mean, there's these catalysts for change in individuals too, where you're going along life and then something, you know, or something uh, and it it just transforms you from the inside out and then you you know sit in that seat going what can I do that's a soul question right like I feel like you see something and you I, I feel like people inherently say what can I do so Brian you were gonna say something yeah, I, because there's another piece of that, and I'm sure it's for Erica, which she's living, which is you do it for others that can't. Um, there, there are, you know, if you're in this community long enough, um, you see a lot of death. Um, you see a lot of tragedy. You see a lot of people left behind. And um, I'm one of those fortunate ones that gets to be here, and I can't sit around and wait for, you know, optics we've got to keep moving forward and you know the, those people that are unable to come to washington are unable to go and talk to to folks you know that's what our community is trying to do we're, we're picking up the um you know we're, we're doing it for others yeah yeah you know it's funny because i feel like everybody who's involved in the the medical team, you know, like we are involved in medical education and we always feel when all of this stuff started to happen, even before this stuff, but really it put a spotlight on it. Like, how do you get critical information to someone that's going to be seeing a patient in clinic? And if they didn't encounter us, 
they're not going to be able to give that person, you know, the latest, or they're not going to know something that that person, and that person could be my mom, my husband, my kid, me, it could be, you know, so it was like, we just, the way we were trying to figure out how do we get through this COVID thing was how do we break the barriers down that COVID put up in our ability to deliver information? And I feel like having heard from both of you in the town halls, you were very much in the same situation, both being parts of and heads of large advocacy organizations where, you know, you're going along and all of a sudden it's like a big wall popped up and you have to say, still, people still need us. You know, how do we get, how do we get to them and how do we let them or invite them to get to us in these kind of safe spaces? So Brian, since we, you know, as we're talking about COVID and as we're now, I don't want to say through it because we're by no means through it, but we've learned what we can learn to this point about it. Do you see, you know, you mentioned things like telemedicine and other things that might be here to stay. Do you see that there are things here to stay in the advocacy world in terms of what we've learned we are still able to accomplish? Well, I think the one thing that Erica highlighted, which, you know, some, some of these circumstances that we've all been through, the country is going through, um, touched a nerve um, that has created this groundswell of folks, you know, saying enough, saying we need to do some things differently. Um, I think that you're going to see, you know, some of that play out here over, you know, through the election cycle, as well as going forward with issues around um, access to care. Um, I think, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues out there where there's, uh, you know, a growing disparity between, you know, sort of the haves and have nots of the world. Um, I think we're going to see some change going on there. I think, um, I think, a big piece of this is trying to figure out, okay, people are upset, people are raw, there's a nerve that's been hit. How do we turn that or channel that to positive things? Um, and how do we decide what, you know, what those positive things are? That's going to you know, be a, a tough, tough debate discussion. But there's so much energy behind this that we as a country, you know, have a, we're at a pivoting point where we can make some big, you know, big decisions about the future. Um, it's whether we can all come to the table and agree on things, I think. I know, I know. And the divide, the, the, the divide just feels wider and wider. But one area that we're, I believe, not divided on, Erica, is that during this crisis, there's been a lot of shift in regular routine screening mm -hmm. and what we call essential visits for monitoring for recurrence. And so I was on a, a educational call the other day where someone said, we're just getting ready to see another crisis, another pandemic. A hundred percent. Where does Coleman stand on right now in this moment? What are you saying to women about, um, about routine screening? So we're saying um, it's very important to resume your routine um, screening mammograms. Um, you know, what we're, what we're, um, what we're seeing in preliminary data um, from uh, a report that I recently saw 
um, showed that the average screening mammograms in the United States weekly um, prior to um, the national um, pandemic being declared a national emergency or worldwide emergency, um, there was about 10,000 screening mammograms taking place average weekly in the United States. March and April and May, it plummeted at 529 screenings a week in the United States. Um, so that, that data point tells us a couple of things. One, people listened and they stayed home, which was great. Um, but there's huge ramifications um, that we're going to have to um, deal with in a, I don't know when, but a post-COVID uh, recovery world. Um, the health systems, even if they were to stay open 24 hours a day, there's no way they can make up all of those screenings by the end of the year. Um, and um, patient accrual, another piece of this also is um, uh, clinical trial, clinical research participation. Um, I sat on a call that the NCI director um, spoke on and talked about how during um, COVID, March, April, and May, um, clinical research, um, clinical trials essentially halted um, uh, patient accrual. And the, that might not sound terrible um, in the sense, but when you think about the trickle-down effect of what patient accrual um, means for a therapy that um, needs to recruit so many people in order for the trial to get approved or to move on and get FDA approval, um, that means therapies that would be approved by the Food and Drug Administration won't get on the shelves for patients to save lives. Um, the, the entire um, The entire implications and impact of COVID-19 on the cancer world, um, as you just said, is actually another pandemic that people just aren't talking about. And I am very fearful. Um, we've got screenings have declined. People are scared to get back in the clinic because they're worried they're going to get a virus and don't understand the precautions that hospitals and clinics are taking. We have um, clinical research that has essentially halted. Um, for patient accrual. And then we've got, as I mentioned, an entire new population that is now finding itself without health insurance for the first time, probably in their adult life, which means um, not access to preventive care or just routine um, screenings because they don't, they don't know where to go to have those um, uh, things covered. So we're on the verge of something that's pretty incredible. And I I actually believe organizations like ours, like Brian's, are going to be critical moving forward to stay in existence and to continue to be around to help reach the, those people that need it the most, um, you know, in, in the kind of recovery piece of COVID. Brian, that's an interesting point that Erica brings up. You know, we talk about movements, but there always need to be leaders in movements. And I wonder if this is not a catalyst, you know, everything Erica just said, which I agree wholeheartedly with, this isn't a catalyst for advocacy organizations to pick up that banner and say, wait a minute, you know, there may be division in all of these other areas, but we've got to stay aligned in, you know, in cancer care, in cancer screening, prevention, treatment. Um, do you see an opportunity for that? You know, we had Stand Up to Cancer. We have all these huge, huge, huge organizations. But do you see an opportunity to have one voice speaking to, you know, our nation kind of reinforcing the importance of all of these things and how to prevent some of that trickle down uh, negativity that yeah. we've seen? I mean, you, 
you actually named one of the coalitions we belong to, which is One Voice Against Cancer, uh, spearheaded by the American Cancer Society, represented by about 40 plus different cancer organizations, talking, you know, primarily about, in, you know, robust and sustainable funding for the NIH, the National Cancer Institute. So that, that's going on. To your, to your question about, you know, can advocates fill into this space and can we be unified? You know, we, we've seen in the kidney cancer community um, a willingness to, to share some dialogue and some best practices around what our advocacy asks are, because I think we all can agree that if you have multiple voices saying different things from the same community, it gets diluted and ineffective right from the start. So we're, we're trying to harness that one voice um, mo um, mentality in the kidney cancer space. But I think across cancers, um, and cancer groups, I think I think there's def there's definitely this uh, you know support uh, enthusiasm to to come together even more. And I you know thankfully cancer research is one of the few bipartisan issues that gets support you know on both sides of the aisle. Um, and in this environment right now, you know having um, you know less of a face to face opportunity with you know, our representatives and now doing these, you know, we're, we're doing what telemedicine is doing right now. We're having these kind of conversations so with legislatures. You're going to have these kinds of conversations. So we, we, we have an opportunity uh, because of that support and bipartisanship. Yeah. You know, there's so much to be done. Um, there's so much to do. There's so much to be done there. Sometimes I'm sure both of you feel it, that there's too little people too too few soldiers on the field. Um, <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, I feel like there are so many people looking for opportunities to give, looking for opportunities to kind of get connected to things that matter. I know, I also believe with all my heart that we're headed into a mental health crisis post this COVID and race relations and all these things, um, that we're not as a health system, as, a, as school systems, as parental systems that none of us are equipped to handle. Um, because, you know, Brian, when you mentioned people are craving that physical connection, we can only be isolated so long. Mm -hmm. And I do think that all of us have that inherent need for connection. It's not just like a desire. Uh, and I see it in my six-year-old. I see it in my 17-year-old. I see it in me. I'm 43. My mom, 75. It's cross-generational. Uh, and it's definitely something that also, no one's talking about that, you know, how do we kind of get through this very dark time um, in our history? Well, I, you know, we've only got about 10 more minutes-ish to go, and I want to ask some personal questions. Um, Erica, I want you to share maybe the most significant thing you've done at, since you've entered uh, this arena of, of advocacy, of public policy, of kind of being the voice for people that may not have a loud enough voice? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I think, um, so I love the opportunity of inspiring others to be involved and to understand that it do, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to even have a full-time job to be engaged in influencing change. Anybody can do it. And quite frankly, the stories that are shared with an elected official um, are 
more powerful than any data figure that I can throw out. Um, as Brian said, I love the idea of district days. I think I might steal that from you. Um, that's an incredible idea. <laughs> um, but We're happy to share any information we've got. <laughs> awesome, thank you. Um, I think one of the, the things I'm most proud of is initially when Livestrong, back in the day, um, I'll share just a, a brief thing. Um, decided to pull together two advocates from all 50 states on Capitol Hill and have a live strong day in Washington, DC. And um, um, I obviously advocate for NIH uh, funding for the NCI. Um, and we pulled it off and inspired a group of people who went back to their community and each pulled together a group of 100 advocates to each advocate in their state um, and take the message back. So it truly was a grassroots movement. I learned a lot from that experience that I'm using today, the power of, of yeah, inspiration, the power of motivation, and then the power of change in and of itself um, is a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, you know, when I think back to Livestrong, I wonder is there always, or does there always have to be in your opinion before I move on, to Brian, does there always have to be kind of like faces of movements? Do you think mm -hmm. that, that that's necessary in order for something to kind of catch fire? Or do you think it could be done, you know, that true organic grassroots? Yeah, I I mean, you know, if you're if you're referencing a person, obviously it didn't hurt to have a um, you know, a national celebrity. Um, superstar at the time who was also a cancer survivor um, face a movement, but I don't think it's um, necessary. I think the message, the power, and the um, um, uh, the message in and of itself can um, inspire thousands of people to get involved. Um, okay. You know, no matter who they are, what they do. Um, if you truly believe in it, and it is something that you feel you can make an impact on. Um, I, I think the sky's the limit, quite frankly. Yeah, it's kind of like that um, Susan Komen, Nancy Brinker story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, little, that little story that happened yeah. uh, that fueled the most incredible movement. And, you know, one of my philosophies and mantras is we don't care how change happens um, as long, or we don't care who gets credit for whatever change we're trying to advocate for. We just want to get it done. Um, and I think any organization that moves forward with the mantra of we just have to do what's best regardless if our logo is on it regardless if our person is the lead speaker at the news conference or not um that's when you can really show your true colors to constituents to your supporters to show that you you mean what you're saying and you mean what you're advocating for and the rest will kind of just follow suit people will follow that yeah yeah thank you for that Brian, how about you? When you think about, you know, significant moments, significant impacts, something that you can say, it's because I was involved or it's because I put all my passion and energy that that thing happened. Do you have a story to share? Sure, sure. Uh, 2016, four years ago, kidney cancer had zero dollars dedicated federally for research. And um, in 2017, uh, we got $10 million um, appropriated for kidney cancer specifically. And that's now grown uh, to 40 million. And so we're, um, as a community, there's a lot of hands involved in, in bringing this off. And um, we're just ecstatic. It's created a renewed interest in the early investigator um, pool of folks. Um, there's 
you know, young investigators are saying, maybe this is a, an area I need to spend some more time and maybe I can build a career there where, you know, previously they would, no offense to the folks in prostate and other places, you know, they, they would go to where there's an opportunity to build a career or have a laboratory. Um, and now we're starting to be in that space. And so um, I, I see that as a really significant turning point for, for us. I, I'd like to just go back to your mental health comment a, a couple of minutes ago, which I, you know, I do, I do feel like all the cancer community is being impacted. Um, you know, Erica, you touched on some things, but, you know, fear, uncertainty, you know, uh, delays in scans, delays in surgery, um, you know, potentially life-saving surgery. I mean, th there's definitely going to be a, a significant and already is a significant impact on the, on the cancer community with, with those uh, issues. How I, I see the, silver lining some, somewhere in there is this is the time to, if, if you've been impacted, be imp empower yourself, get out there and do something, get, you know, come and join us, join your local organizations that are doing things. And, and if you can, you know, not everybody can, but if you can get out there, you know, you, you make an impact. And so this could be the opportunity to harness that, that energy. Definitely, definitely. No, I mean, I do think that the call to action from this is, you know, if you're, if you're home looking for something to do that will change your life, that will change the life of other people, something as simple as visiting a website. Actually, I want both of you, Brian, if you could start, give me your uh, website, just call it out. We'll also put it on our, the end piece of this. But sure. Call it out for it's us. It's kidneycan.org, K-I-D-N-E-Y. C-A-N.org. And Erica, you too, for Komen. Yeah, um, I'll give you the national, Komen.org. Um, they have, we've got a public policy institute that has fantastic resources for civic engagement. Yeah, so, you know, you're home, you're sitting, you're looking for that thing. I know, you know, there's so much of me. I'm working harder than I've ever worked before in my life, I can say. So it's not like, you know, I've got oodles of time left, but I feel sometimes that my work is, I don't get a break from it. And I don't mean to say that public policy or getting involved in something like this, you know, it should be looked at as a break, but it does something for your soul to give to someone else without any expectation of getting anything back. You know, lend your voice, lend your signature, you know, lend your hand, pick up the phone and call someone. There's so many people right now that are, you know, sitting home alone, they don't have a family and friend, you know, infrastructure in their own life. They're sitting home alone and advocacy organizations have such an enormous ability to connect those communities. And there are never enough soldiers on the field. So even if you said, well, you know, I can't commit to all of this time, commit half a Saturday, you know, like do something little incremental changes. Um, because I do feel like once you kind of put your toe in the water, you're gonna to wanna to go all in. Feeling that feeling of what that little thing can do. Get your kids involved. It's a good activity to do with your teenagers, to show them, you know, this is the way to make change. It's not always just about social media posts. Get out and do something. So- yeah, I, Sarah, just to, to add to that, I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a couple of things there that you, you touched on, you know. One is, um, it's so easy to, to complain. It's really easy to complain these days, depending on, not, no matter where you are, you know, what's going on, there's a lot of things that are 
negatively impacting us all and we can complain. Or you can, you know, get up and do something like you've said. And, and political advocacy is one avenue, but I think what you've talked about in terms of picking up the phone and calling a friend that you haven't spoken to in a long time or finding out if there's, you know, you know, a patient that you can deliver a meal to or you can even just call them on the phone and see how they're doing. See if, you know, those are the kinds of advocacy efforts that um, are impactful as well as, you know, going to Washington, D.C. Yeah, no, for sure. There, and, you know, there's so much that we can learn from each other. I have a friend who, um, so we live in kind of a, I don't want to say affluent, but it's like a, you know, a nice community. I'm saying a wide community, the city that we live in. And I have a friend who's like a bleeding heart. I mean, every time there's a fundraiser or something, she's like first in line. She's bringing the cupcakes. She's doing everything. So when all of this started to happen, you know, people started to get really nervous. And then there were, you couldn't go to nursing homes. You couldn't really go anywhere. So she started this thing where she invited friends to go to places where, you know, you might know that there's a homeless person that sits around. And instead of giving them a sandwich or a dollar, whatever she traditionally did, she, it, it, she invited herself to lunch with them. And she started posting about who these people are, not who they were, who they are. And I believe so much with all my heart that there are people all around, you know, us, Erica, Brian, and Sarah, you collide with each other for something and then you dig a little deeper and you dig a little deeper and pretty soon you see this person is kind of fantastic. Their stories, you know, their impact, their passion, and they're a lot like me. And I feel like so much of that's missing too, that we kind of all live in our own bubbles and we don't necessarily see that, you know, the Republican or Democrat is a lot like me. The black or white or Hispanic is a lot like me. The man, the woman, it's like we've lost that ability to kind of look for the things that connect us and instead kind of stand fast on the things that divide us. So I do think that there's, you know, an opportunity to, to individualize this, which then leads to doing things that affect change. Um, but all of us have to be invested in it. It can't be we're leaving it up to the Comans, the kidney cans, you know, the bigger organizations of the world to do it. Like we've got to get involved now. So I think this is, these are great places to start in, you know, talking to real people that have given their life to causes like the two of you have, have done um, to see that, you know, not only is it rewarding for all of the obvious reasons, but it's rewarding because now you've built a legacy that because you, you decided to say yes, things transformed so significantly. And I love yeah, I, to know both of you doing that. I just want to add to that, you know, there's a fact that I think goes under noticed, which is that there are 15.5 million kidney, cancer survivors in the United States, I think now, I mean, that's, a, that's an army. Yeah. Um, and if we could harness them, you know, as, as a voice and we, and, you know, most of us, many of us are trying to, and we're having some success, but if we really got that harness you know, we could, we could make some things happen as well. And so, um, yeah. you know, there, there's hope we'll, we'll remain hopeful. Yeah, we have to remain hopeful. All, all good things come with hard sacrifice. So we will remain hopeful.
Well, I'm so grateful for the both of you. I told you that an hour goes by fast. I'm grateful for the both of you. I will do everything I can on all of our social media channels and with all of the people that we call, you know, customers, peers, friends, et cetera. We will share everything we can in terms of how to get involved in Kidney Can, uh, in Komen, and in other organizations and other causes. I thank you both for sharing a little bit about your life uh, and about your work with us as an audience. I knew from the first time I spoke with both of you that there was a spark that I wanted to share with the people that I can influence. And so let's stay in touch. Let's make sure that you know we continue to, to work together to innovate, to reach our audiences um rely on us as much in it and whenever you can like brian we loved doing that with um kidney can the get up and move day um and you know just continue to to consider us partners and friends um and i really do look forward to the time where we can meet each other in per in person maybe we'll all sit and have a coffee or better yet a martini on capitol hill <laughs> <laughs> And I do want to end with one really awesome thing for our viewing audience. You know, I, I want to take a moment to say, to give you a little bit of insight on the power of a working mom. So when Erica first started this <laughs> podcast, I saw this little monster creep up next to her. And she did what all moms and all dads have been doing on Zoom calls, like slowly push the camera off the camera. Uh, and then there came a point in the podcast where we heard a little rascal, probably some kind of pup, some yeah. mid-sized pup uh, calling for attention. But you know what's so beautiful, I think about this time that was almost like unthinkable or unforgivable in the past is we've gotten to be able to treat each other as individual human beings that all have the same stuff going on in the background of our life. So Erica, I commend you for <laughs> during family time and, and I thank you too, but you gotta admit, there's nothing like a working mom. <laughs> Amen. So, <laughs> so thank you, my dear girl. And uh, know that we all stand with both of you in your work. Thank you again for being with us tonight and we look forward to doing this again in the future. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the opportunity, Sarah. Okay. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. Take Appreciate care. the opportunity.